And so I just thank the Lord for allowing us to be here. I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages in the Bible today, and I'm going to keep talking while you're turning. But the first one is one that we will refer to later. It's in the book of Ezra, and I want you to take a moment and find that. You have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Get to Psalms, take a left, and uh, Ezra will be a short, few short books to the left of that. And if you'd find Ezra chapter 3... And just put a little piece of paper there or uh, maybe the ribbon, a, a bookmark if you have it, Ezra chapter 3. And while you're t- doing that, I just want to say I appreciate Pastor Bujak mentioning our books in the book table. As I mentioned the other night, our church publishes a quarterly uh, publication called The Flaming Torch. It's been in existence for 65 years, but I was not the original author of it. I, I, we've only been doing it for a few years, but God's really using it. And there are two devotional books back there. Each one has a devotion for every day of the year. I told my wife this morning, though we've been doing this for many years, it's always awkward to talk about our stuff. But I said to her, I wouldn't mention it if I didn't think it would really help people. And I believe that you would find it helpful to you. Those are back there. And then a book that I and some other men wrote about the doctrine of the church, a pure church. Whole book divided to that subject, and they're back there if you have time afterwards. Ezra chapter 3, put a bookmark there if you would please. And now go to another little book to the right of that, and that's where we'll begin. And that's the book of Haggai. Haggai, if you go to the book of Matthew and take a left, you'll find uh, Malachi, then Zechariah, then Haggai. And uh, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. If you'd find that in your Bible. Haggai chapter 2. If you're able to stand, could we stand together for the reading of the Word of God and then we'll have prayer. Just a bit of background before we read Haggai chapter 2. Israel... The nation of Israel had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, the Babylonian Empire. When that happened, many of the Jews were taken captive into Babylon. And after they had been taken captive, a number of years after that, the Babylonians destroyed uh, the splendor of uh, the really what was indeed the most remarkable thing about the Israel culture, and that was their temple, Solomon's temple. And that temple was destroyed in those days. After 70 years, the captives of Israel returned back to their homeland and began to rebuild that temple that had been desecrated and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's army. Haggai, we're looking at the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet during this time. And let's look in verse 1 of chapter 2. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Here's the message from God. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, 
the high priest and to the residue of the people, saying, Here's a part of the message. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? God had a message for Israel, and God's message for Israel really was introduced with these three questions. First of all, the question was, who is left among you who can remember seeing this house in its first glory? And then the question was, how do you see it now? And then the question was very probing, is it not in your eyes today in comparison of it, the earlier one, as nothing? And so I just want us to think about this subject for a little while this morning. How do you see it now? And let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word today. We pray that you would help us as we give our attention to the word of God. Lord, you have been honored and glorified and praised in this place today. And I pray that as we look into the word of God, that we would give you the attention that you deserve and that your word deserves And I pray that you would speak to us and help us and encourage us and strengthen us through the Word of God today. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You know, as we begin and spent these few days here uh, in Fort Worth celebrating the 100th anniversary of this church, Metropolitan Baptist Church, we have been encouraged as we've looked back, really with gratitude for what God has done. And looking back is wise. Looking back can be beneficial, it's profitable, but we can't live in the past. I think we all would recognize that. Sometimes I look behind me, I look back when I'm driving, uh, and it's helpful, but it would not be safe to be always looking back when you're driving. We want to look at what God has done, but we also rejoice in what God is doing. But we also want to be looking forward to what God wants to do in the future. Now, as we look at this text today, and I'd invite you uh, to give your attention to these words from God through the prophet to the people. There were distinct differences in how this building project was being perceived, how it was viewed. There there were those who rejoiced to see it, and there were those who were not really pleased about it. And that's why he says here in verse 3, Who is left among you that saw the first house in its glory? Now there were some that were in their presence who were old enough that they remembered the splendor of Solomon's temple. And and so he asked them, how do you see it now? You remember what that one looked like. You're looking at this new temple. How do you see it now? And then again, the third question in verse 3, is it not in your eyes as nothing compared to the first temple? Notice if you would in verse 3, let's read that. And I want to just point out uh, three words in verse 3. Who is left among you that saw emphasizing the word saw, this house in her first glory, and how do you see, a second 
uh, reference to what they see. How do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes a third reference in comparison of it as nothing? And so all these questions have to do with what they saw. It was about their perspective. How do you see it? You know, how does a new temple look compared to the old temple? And our perception, by the way, this is what our perception is. It's our opinion based on what we see. We make perceptions based on what we see. And God was questioning them about their perception. What do you see in this? And the perception of the older generation was wrong. Because they were had a negative attitude about the new temple because all they could think about was the glorious old temple. Now let me just remind us a little bit today, and I'll be very conscious of the time. Um, the first temple was unbelievably magnificent. <laughs> and you may not be familiar with that, but if, if, read it. It's just amazing. When David, who wanted to build this uh, edifice, but was not allowed to because his son Solomon would. But David said this about the house that would be built. He said, the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. Isn't that a good word? Oh, it's got to be exceedingly magnificent. And just a few little things about it. The walls, the walls of it were covered with gold. And the floor of it was covered with gold. And the throne there was of ivory overlaid with the best gold. You'll remember this story. Uh, the queen of Sheba, which some say Sheba was the wealthiest of the nations at that time. The queen of Sheba came to visit this because she had heard about this building and about this man Solomon and when she came, she came to see could it possibly be as magnificent as they said it was and after seeing it she said the half has never been told. They explained it to me in a way that I said it can't be that great and when she got there she said they didn't tell us the half of it. I've stood on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Valley of Kidron, looking at the place where this temple once stood. Now the Dome of the Rock is there. And I've wondered what it must have been like that day, in those days to stand and look at that magnificent structure that really was, was renowned. And, and, and so this is, this is the temple they're talking about. Some people remembered that. They were old enough to remember that. And uh, so, so it was not only beautiful, though, but the, the thing that made it most amazing was that God manifested himself in that place. When David told the people about building this, he says, The palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, I ask you, we're going to stay right here in Haggai too, but would you turn to that passage that I mentioned in Ezra for a moment, if you have that marked, and if you don't have it, you can just listen as I read. But I want to, Ezra, in Ezra chapter 3, he records when this building project started, when they were just building the foundation of this new building. 
and, I, and, and it's a very similar dynamic. Ezra chapter 3, it says in verse 10, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests and their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. This is a great celebration. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. When they praise the Lord, because the foundation, this is the new temple, the second temple, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers were ancient, who were ancient men. Now, I don't know how old that is, but there may be some of those here today. And many of the priests and Levites and chief of their fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house. When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. This is not just tears trickling down their cheek. They were sobbing, loudly sobbing when they saw the foundation of this house. They wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. I just turned to that passage in Ezra to see this. When it began, we had this same dynamic. We had the older people were weeping because this does not look like the first temple. And the younger people were excited because they were getting a temple. And so, so the older people were comparing. Let's go back to Haggai if we could. The older people were comparing the new temple to the old. Who was it that saw the old temple? They were, those were in people like in my age group and older. Um, and he says, who is there left among you that saw this old temple? Now, most of the people that were listening to Haggai were too young to remember Solomon's temple. They only knew what others told them. They, people would tell them, you, you know, you, you can't believe. Keep in mind, they'd been in Babylonian uh, control. The, it was occupied, in, occupied there by the Babylonians, people taken captive to Babylon. And so, and the temple was destroyed. And so, they're saying, how does it compare? Jesus, the Bible says, how do you compare this to the first temple? And, and there's a mixed bag of emotions. How can, the, how can you have these two different perspectives? So, same people, people of God, but some of them were excited and some of them were depressed. Some of them were rejoicing, some of them were weeping, and it all has to do with the way they looked at it. That's why the Bible question is important. How do you see it now? And I just want to hit the pause button for just a moment and just insert this. It matters how we look at things. The way we see ourselves, the way we see our circumstances, uh, the way we see our potential. You know, the language in Haggai chapter 2 there, look at the last part of verse 3. It says, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it is nothing? You know, sometimes making comparisons is not a wise thing to do. The New Testament talks about that as well. 
How do we, you know, how do you see your potential? You know, one of the things we do as, as Sunday school teachers, as preachers, as parents, is try to help young people to see the great potential in their life. And sometimes they can't, you can't see beyond what you see in the mirror. And you say, well, I know me. I know my failures. I know my mistakes. I know my shortcomings. But sometimes we're not seeing things really the way we should. We should. And sometimes, and I'm thinking, of course, about the, the celebration of the, the 100th anniversary of this church. But sometimes we can spend so much time looking back and remembering how things used to be that we become blind to the possibilities that are before us. We can see our situation as hopeless. Sometimes people, even Christians, see their contribution as being worthless. But you know what we need? We need God's perspective. Not our perspective. We need God's perspective. You know, let me give you a little perspective today. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God loves you deeply. And He knows you better than anybody, including yourself. He knows everything about you. And yet God loves you deeply just the way you are. Some people say, well, nobody cares about me. Oh, yes, somebody cares about you. God cares about you. And God wants to have a relationship with with you, And that's why Jesus came to this earth to suffer and die on the cross for our sins because he loves us. He didn't want to see us die in our sins and go to hell. He wants to forgive us and fellowship with us. The God who made everything wants to walk with you and be a part of your life and guide you through the difficult times of your life. God loves us and he looks at his children and he cares. We need the right perspective. I'll give you one quick example from the Bible. There was a man in Luke's gospel who had everything going for him. And yet it came into his mind that he was going to cash in on his inheritance and go to a far country and wasted it all in riotous living and ruined his testimony and broke his dad's heart and lived in sin. And finally he came to the end of himself. And when he came to the end of himself, he said, I'd be better off a servant in my father's house. But this is what he thought. When I get there... My father's not going to care about me. My father's not going to forgive me. My fa- you know, that was right in his mind. That's what he thought. But he had the wrong perspective. His father saw him coming from a long way off and went and hugged on his neck and loved him and said that my son that was dead is alive again. That's, we need the right perspective today. We find in this passage... Some perspective from God in Haggai. I want to read a little further. Haggai chapter 2. He said there, he asked these three questions in verse 3. And then he says this in verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. This is God speaking. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, 
For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. God is still speaking. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, now we see, we saw what the old men thought about it. The ancient men, they didn't, they weren't impressed. But now we see what someone else thinks about it. We see what God thinks about it. And you know what? That's what we need. We need to see the way God sees things. And um, I was thinking this morning about an ex- experience I had back in the 80s. And I had, for some reason, I had gone to this place. We were having dinner together, and there were several preachers there. And, and I, I knew of them I was a young preacher in that day, and I knew of them, but they didn't know me, and I'm not exactly sure why I was there. But one of them, who was a man who was really nationally known, he said, asked me to introduce myself, and I told him my name, and told him the church that I was serving in, and this is what he said. He said, that's where God does exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. Now, he didn't know me, and he didn't know my church, our church, but he did know this. He knew God's perspective about the church, and that is where God does exceeding abundantly above all that we have to think according to his power that worketh in us. The point is we need God's perspective. And how do we know that? How, did, how could the people in this day who, who had the wrong perspective, how could they get the right perspective? And the answer is they had to get it from God. God's will and His Word should shape our influence about our perspective. You may think, or someone you know may think, that God could never fix what's wrong in my life. God could never fix what's wrong in my marriage. God could never fix what's wrong in my mind. And I remember being there. I remember how it was before Christ came into our lives. My thoughts were so selfish. I had so many bad habits. I had convinced my wife, and for the last time, I I asked her, would you just come back one more time? We had not lived under the same roof many times in our marriage because of me. And she said, I'll come back, but I have to tell you, whatever love I ever had for you is gone. She's sitting right here. There's no way I could change the way I was thinking. There was no way I could change the way I was living. There was no way I could change my life. But I'm telling you, when he came in, everything changed. And it didn't happen overnight, and he's still not finished with us. But I'm telling you, God, we need God's perspective. What can God do? What has God done here? He's done amazing things. But what might God do in the days ahead? And so we need God's perspective. So what would God have us to do? 
And I want to look at this passage and just point out some things we've already read. What did, what did God say to these people when there's this conflicting reports? Some are saying this is exciting. Others are saying this is nothing compared to the way it used to be. What did God say? Verse 4, first thing he said was be strong. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, and be strong, all ye people, be strong in the Lord. What a great encouragement, right? Be strong. And then notice what he said. Be strong in the Lord in verse 4. I hope you're looking at that. And work. Don't just be strong, but get busy. Amen. By the way, the ministry is work. It, it, you know, in those inspired words in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good what? Work. work. The ministry is work. But what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord is work. What should we do? We ought to be strong in the Lord and we ought to be busy. We need to serve God. We heard last night about our spiritual gifts. We've heard about the importance of getting involved firsthand in missions and giving to missions and, and, and supporting the work of God and praying for missionaries. What should we do? We shouldn't. You know what our potential is? It's in God. But he says we need to be strong and we need to work. And notice what else he said in verse 4. Last part of verse 4. For I am with you. Those words are so easy to read. But they're so full of help. I am with you. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. Just like I told you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. What are we to do? We're to be recognized that God is with us. The same God the same God who worked mightily in this video presentation to help with missions and outreach and evangelism, the same, God, those people didn't do that by themselves. God was with them. And the same God that was with them is with us today. Well, God says, I'm with you. Be encouraged. I, I, you know, I'm going to give you a breaking report, something you probably hadn't thought about. Our, our world's in a great mess. But the good news is we're not alone. Amen. God is with us. Amen. And he says in verse 5, fear not. And then he says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, I have all the resources you need. Isn't that good to know? Yes. God, God has promised us that He will meet our needs. He has what we need to do the job. He needs the workers we need. I mean, He has the workers we need. He has the spiritual gifts that we need. He has the financial resources that we need. He has the people to do the work. And you might ask, well, if, he, if we have the people we need, where are they? I'm looking at them. And others that will come. Just take a look around you. There they are. This God is God puts in the body what the body needs, right? To do the work that God has for us. He has the resources that we need. You may say, well, I, I just don't see it. Well, when you go home today or tonight or when you get up in the morning, just look in the mirror. 
And there's one of those workers right there. You say, I can't do anything. You need God's perspective. You know what God says about us? We know in that Ephesians chapter 2 where it says we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. And then it says this, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which were before ordained. You know what that means? That God has a place for me, and He's, a, he's working on me. We are, you're a work of God, and God wants to use us. I, I'm not minimizing a hundred years of ministry. I thank God for it. I rejoice in it. I praise God for it. But that doesn't mean the best is behind us. You know what? You know what God was saying to these people? You tell these people the best is yet to come. Yes, there was glory in the first, the first temple, but he says this, the glory and this will exceed. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. What a testimony. We need to let God, just let God have his way and let him work through us. You know, during this very same project... There were times, when, especially when they're trying to build the walls around the city of Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. There were times when the enemy tried to hinder them and discourage them and stop the building of the walls. But whiz, Nehemiah had enough wisdom to say this, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm, I'm, this is a great work. And we're not going to be deterred or distracted or discouraged by the naysayers. So today I'm encouraged. I'm not a member of this church. I'm kind of thinking about moving my membership, but I'm not a member. <laughs> we, we consider the great things that God has done. God has been good. But as we do that, as we rejoice in what's happened in the past, not only in the distant past, but in the recent past, we want to commit ourselves to what God wants to do in the future. The group, I want, to, I want you to really think with me for a moment. The group that's highlighted here in Haggai chapter 2 that was most excited about what God was doing was the younger group. The group that was hung up on just living in the past, that was the older group. And I, I was thinking about this this morning. The, the, the group that was excited were shouting. They had never seen Solomon's temple. They had never, you know, all they knew was what people had told them. But they knew something else. They knew they had been oppressed by the enemy, but now they were free. They knew they were getting a place of worship, which they had not had for 70 years. They now had a place to worship and an identity that had been a part of their history but was not a part of their recent history. But they were fully on board and excited about what God wanted them to do. Is that, is that the truth or not? Yes. Absolutely. So it would be a great mistake for us to just look at the old people like me 
and say, you know, those people carried the bulk of the load for a long time, and they'll just keep carrying the bulk of the load for the next hundred years. Now, I'm not a math wizard, but I'm going to tell you, that's not going to happen. You know what we need? We need a generation of young people that are excited about the things of God, that believe that God is with us, that rejoice and honor the history that we have, but say, I'm gonna, I want to do my part to pray, to work, to give, to serve, to see God's work go forward for the glory of God. What we need to see what God sees in our personal lives, in our families, in our children, in our church, and we find that in the Word of God. Most of you know that I pastored the same church for 41 years, and The good thing is I never had a, anybody that thought evil of me or criticized me or said anything negative about the work of God. Do you believe that? I knew you wouldn't. But let, me just, let me just say this, not about me, but about all of us. You know what keeps us going? It's not just a pat on the back, even though pats on the back are good. It's not just being recognized. It's knowing this, that we're doing what God wants us to do. And He is with us. And He wants us to, by faith, obey Him and trust Him. And it's been a, it's been a while. I told you the other night, I, I went to the church where I presently am a member to serve when I was 22 years old. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. But I believe God still has something for us to do. It's, it's not a time for stopping. It's not a time for quitting. It's not a time for letting somebody... No, let's, let's get busy doing what God wants us to do. And I'm gonna, I'm just want to ask you to do this. Two things. Number one, if you're here today and you're not saved, God loves you. And if you would come today, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it would be the greatest day of your life, the most important decision you ever made in your life. And nobody can make that for you. You have to make that decision. But we're here to help you with that. If you would, if that's in your heart, if you'd like to know you're going to heaven, if you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to place to start over, now would be a good time to do it. You ought to come today. If you're here today and you are saved, especially if you're here today and you're saved and you're a member of this church, would you consider today just saying, Lord, on this 100th anniversary of our church today, I want to see our future like you see it. I want to give myself our family, our resources, our, our effort, our labor to see your work go forward for the glory of God. Would you do that today? I don't, I don't think that's something we have to 
ponder and pray about and think about it. I think that's a decision we could make right now. God, this is what I want to do. You may be a young person, you're just not really plugged in, but today you could say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I just want to let you know today I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. Be a good commitment to make, wouldn't it? Let's stand together, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, thank you for listening so attentively. I appreciate it so much. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Today, let's just, I mean, we're going to have a meal in a while, and we're going to spend time fellowshipping. But today, let's just take this moment and just say, God, I want to give myself to you and to your work. a song of invitation. People are praying. You need to come right now. Let's let God have his way, all right? Verses in the Bible that spoke to me when I was younger was a verse in Proverbs which says, Ponder the path of thy feet. Think about where you're going. Brother Smith was talking about his life back when the Lord wasn't in charge, and came a time in his life when he started considering if this train continues the way it's going, where's it going to end? I want to say this if the Lord gets involved in your life, that train's going to go in a different direction than it was when you were at the helm. The Lord takes you in a different direction. And when the Lord leads you places, he will fill your life with blessing and glory. And we sure look forward to God doing glorious things. Some of you young people need to get in on this. It's not just us older folks who need to surrender to the Lord. 
You younger folks need to start getting mesmerized with God's word and the work of the Lord. Say, what will that mean? Well, maybe it'll be a few more, a few less video games. A few more, a few more moments in God's word. A few more times believing that God has a great plan for you to be involved in his service. There could be somebody here today and God's leading you to come and join this church. And if that's what God's doing, this is your verse. As Brother John sings and as all of us sing, if you need to do something today, you do it. here in this place. Centered around you. There are 
older people who are using walkers and canes, and if you get in front of them in line, you are in the wrong. You should honor your elders. In fact, you might even stand with them and say, can I help you carry your plate to your table before you get something to eat? You might even say, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee, or can I get your silverware for you, or something to that effect? We talk about eating etiquette. Another form of etiquette that we go over when we eat is if you eat on your plate, you clean up your own plate. And for those of you who've never taken out a garbage bag full of liquid before, we don't put full cups of water, coffee, or tea inside the garbage can. We pour it in a bucket in this church because there's no water fountain over there. So for people like me who've carried out a garbage can where someone's thrown a full cup of water and then we have to go and get a mop and clean that up, understand we dump our cups in the bucket, then we throw our cups in the garbage. And we want you to smile and have a great time at dinner. Amen? I'm just trying to encourage you. You know, I, lo I love the Lord, and I'm so thankful we have enough food for everybody here today. Now, I don't know what's on the menu, but I, all I know is that everything we've eaten this week has been good. Here's another form of etiquette that we need to go over. If we're cooking lasagna or fried chicken, and you're one of the first people in line, don't pile up a volcano on your plate to where the last people coming through the line don't get any food. And if you're a parent, keep your kids away from the dessert table first. Aren't I a good I'm so happy today. I've been through a few things before, so I'm going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. We're going to ask God's blessings on the food here. When you get over there, those of you who are senior saints, please do not linger in this room. Try to make your way over. It is 160 steps from this room here over to the gymnasium. So those of you who are slower walkers, I need you to leave first and go and get in line and let people help you. And then let's expeditiously move through the line so that everybody can get their food. If you say, I'm going to go across the street to McAllister's or I'm going to go down to Spring Creek, you can do what you want. But you're going to get food a lot quicker here than you will there. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father. We are humbled to be at this place today, and we are so thankful that you have chosen to meet with us during this meeting. Lord, the people that we've seen, the faces, the, the new relationships that have been built in this meeting far has exceeded my expectations. And Lord, the Bible says that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I thank you for all those who've come here to this sanctuary today. I pray, Lord, now as we go and we break bread together, that you will fill our gymnasium and this place of eating with laughter and a good time around the table. Bless each family that's represented. Bless the food to our bodies, the fellowship around the table. And may you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. We pray.